Welcome to Legends from the Fireside. Standing upon the shoulders of giants in this genre, Legends from the Fireside is a hybrid storytelling RPG podcast set within worlds of sword and sorcery. In our tales, the dice tell the fates of those worlds, for good or for ill. No character is sacred. Survival is not guaranteed. As storyteller and game master, I craft the narrative from these dice rules and create quests from this chaos, all without knowing what could happen next. Listener discretion is advised, as we may explore dark corners of this genre. But, come now, for adventure awaits, listen in to the legends from the fireside. In the last episode of Legends from the Fireside, we check in with the party as they trek through storms and rain on the road to Solon Hill. Additionally, we learn a bit more about the tiny settlement of Solon Hill, including the inhabitants and establishments of the village, such as the demonic pact forging leader Luratia, her estranged magician sister, and the Jester and Mace Tavern. Not too far from here, we are privy to the tense meeting from eight weeks ago of Castle Roseholm's leader, Castellan Marcel Olmill, and the ambassador of the Dwarvish Emberblade Syndicate, Gilmath Bronzebell. It would seem that the undead incursion within the area of Castle Roseholm and Solon Hill has led the Castellan to purchase silvered weapons from the dwarves, but the dwarves don't intend to accept a fair payment. Back in the present day, the party arrived in Solon Hill and entered the Jester and Mace Tavern, only to find the patrons apparently very cautious of outsiders. After being disarmed by Belgin's pleasant and innocent nature, the patrons return to their festivities for only a moment before a pair of dwarves march in and brought everyone to a hush yet again. Chapter 20, Part 1, Day 58, Evening Party Status Tariad, 11 out of 11 hit points Belgen, 8 out of 8 hit points Kellum, 8 out of 8 hit points Thador, 10 out of 10 hit points Sanjin, 4 out of 4 hit points Canard, 2 out of two hit points. Spells prepared. Tariad has prepared light, 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 light. and cure light wounds. Light wounds. Belgen has prepared phantasmal, phantasmal force, force, force and chromatic, chromatic orb. orb. No one moved. No one blinked. No one even dared to take a breath after realizing the danger of their current predicament. The party stood ready for anything, though they were certainly perplexed by a pair of dwarves causing such a scene. 
as the two dwarves relished the intimidation that their very presence instilled in these commoners, a grin crossed the face of the red-bearded speaker out of the two of them. My, where are my manners? If I knew there was a celebration, I would have brought a gift, maybe even dress in my finest. Well, I suppose I might as well join in on the festivities. As he snapped his stubby fingers together, a pair of villagers nearly tripped over each other, trying to be the first to hand over a tankard of ale. The dwarf took the first tankard and handed it back to his accomplice, and then took the second and drank it down with hearty gulps. As he wiped the excess away from his mouth, he took on a sour expression. All in the room looked on fearfully. I don't know how you all drink this pond scum. Would it be so hard for you all to learn to brew up a decent ale? He then shouts to the innkeeper. Fetch me something to eat, will ya? As the dwarves then begin to speak among themselves, the rest of the tavern began to slowly go back to what they were doing before, taking tentative bites and sips as if there were a tiger in the room amongst them. Callum took the opportunity to speak with the innkeeper, walking over slowly to not draw him up any attention. I'll roll now to see if the dwarves actually notice the party as travelers and outsiders. I'll give it a 25% chance. On a d4, I got a 1. So it would seem that these dwarves keep an eye peeled on the party, though they don't make it apparent. Callum leans onto the counter to keep his head down and says, I would like to rent a few rooms for the evening. Duella, the innkeeper, didn't even look at Callum before replying. Not enough rooms for all of you, but I have a common area you could stay in. There's a few bunks and a footlocker. Callum then replied, That should be fine for us. We will be staying here for a while. What's the rate for the room? Duella then turned to give Kellum her full attention. Ten silvers a day for food and drink, and beds for all of you. Kellum then grabbed a handful of silver and gold coins, amounting to seventy silvers in total, and Duella seemed intrigued by this. Before she could take the coins and put them away in her lockbox, the dwarves that had made their way in earlier were walking up to the bar. I can't say that I recall ever seeing you all around here before. What brings you to this dingy place, stranger? Asked the dwarf. Kellum turned his face to the dwarf now, towering over the stout man. I'm afraid I'm not at liberty to discuss that with strangers. I'll roll now for a reaction, just to see if the dwarves are willing to respect this gesture. I got... a five. That's not great. The dwarves' grin dissolved then into a threatening scowl, but Kellum was not shaken by this. You'd know well to respect me. I'm very close with some folks who would make you regret this little act of secrecy you're putting on. As the dwarf looked back to the stack of gold and silver, he looked back again to the barbarian and grinned. You'll learn quickly that Solon Hill and Roseholm belong to us. And the sooner you learn your place here, the better. As the dwarf reached for the coins to take them, Kellum put his hand down upon the dwarf's 
with a vice-like grip. With a stoic expression, Callum then stated boldly, Those who seek honey from bees shall have it, but you have only found wasps, dwarf. The rest of the party didn't have time or the presence of mind to question what the free person's proverb seemed to mean, but all in attendance knew that this display could only end in one way. The dwarf jerked his hand away without grabbing a single coin and never broke his stare from the barbarian. Suddenly, he pointed a stubby finger at Kellum, and before he could let out a barrage of dwarvish threats and curses, he stopped and a smirk formed on his face. I bet my uncle would love to hear of a mouthy traveler with pockets full of coins in his tavern. In fact, I'll tell him all about you. I'm sure he'd like to meet you and have a conversation about the current leadership and law in this land. With that, he began his march out the tavern door. Callum looked back at the party and saw their worried expressions about this threat. As Callum looked around the tavern and saw the panic evident on the patrons' faces, he knew this wasn't an idle threat. Callum knew that he could do as he had always done when he began his wayward lifestyle and skip town. But realizing that the villagers would likely bear the burden of his actions, he knew he had to handle this issue himself, here and now. He charged out the door to catch the dwarves. Combat begins. By the time the party walk out the door, the dwarves are 100 or so feet away. The two dwarves are not armed with ranged weapons, but they have decent armor and melee weapons. The two were certainly anticipating the possibility of the travelers trying to confront them. Though the dwarves are bold and confident, they're not stupid. Seeing themselves this badly outnumbered, the two will try to get away, running towards the path out of Solon Hill, headed west for Castle Rose home. Being the dead of night, however, and having heard of the undead attacking these woods, I'll say that the nephew of Gilmac would have a silvered sword, but I'll also say that neither dwarf feel confident risking a nighttime journey through the forest. Round one, initiative. The party got three. The dwarves got a six. The dwarves see the party in the lantern light of the tavern and immediately turn tail, running another 20 feet away, increasing their total distance to 120 feet. Callum squints to see the dwarves as they fade into the dim light of the nearby homes and then shouts to his party, stop them at all costs. The group run up 20 feet and Kennard, Belgin and Thedor all attempt to hit them with slings and arrows. Belgin and Theodore miss, with the sounds of their stones clacking off the road in the distance. Kennard, however, manages against all odds to hit one of the dwarves with an arrow for six points of damage, and the sound of him falling to the ground with a thud revealed his death. Before we go into the next round, I'll now roll the dwarvish nephew's morale. I got an eleven so he certainly doesn't have the will to continue this course of action. Round two, initiative. The party got a five. The dwarves got a four. The party continued to run up to their foe another 20 feet, ending them 80 feet away from the dwarf. 
They continue to fire missile weapons into the darkness, but unfortunately none of these attacks hit. The dwarf shouts to them, I submit! I surrender! As the party continue towards their foe slowly, weapons drawn, and with a torch lit, they saw the dwarf face down in the cobblestone road, trembling. The party quickly removed his weapons and tie his arms behind his back. Kellum for a moment inspects the silvered blade and attaches it to his own belt. As the party finish tying up the dwarf, they look up at Kellum and then over at Teriad, who had a very contorted look on his face. While the party looked to him for his wisdom, Teriad had experience with these sort of situations that none truly knew about. Teriad nodded to the tavern, and the group lifted the dwarf and headed over inconspicuously as possible. They tucked around the back of the building and wrapped a bit of cloth around his mouth to gag him. <laughs> Terry had walked into the jester and mace and looked for the innkeeper he had seen earlier, and as he walked to speak with her, everyone went silent and watched him. Might I have a word with you? Terry had asked quietly. Duella didn't need to hear the questions that Terriad might have for her. She looked at him with a worried expression and said very plainly, These dwarves aren't a group to get tied up with, stranger. I don't know what you did with them, but I promise you, don't want to get in trouble with them. As the eavesdropping patrons listened intently, Terriad held his hands up disarmingly and said, We have one of them tied up, but I need to know if there's any way to get information from him. Anything at all of use to you and your community. I'll roll for a quick reaction for the patrons and see how they handle what they're able to glean from Terriad's wording. I got a six. Not great. As people begin to put these details together and then begin to panic, Duella ignores the tension and shakes her head slowly. They'll never tell anyone anything. And even if they did, they would tell you lies to protect their own. Terriad knew then, unfortunately, what had to be done. As he looked back at the crowd on the verge of panic, he knew he needed to calm them down. The issue will be taken care of. You have my word that no harm will come to you or your community. I'll roll another reaction. This time I got a nine, which is certainly what we needed here. The group seemed to settle down with Terriad's calming tone, and while looking stressed about the current predicament just outside the tavern, they remained seated as Terriad left the building. As Terriad circled around the back to where the dwarf was taken, he gave a grim look to Kellum, and he quickly understood what needed to be done. They looked then to Kennard and Sanjean, and the two nodded in agreement. As the sounds of shuffles replacing dirt onto the pair of dwarves ceased, the party began their walk back to the jester and mace. Belgen asked with an exhausted sigh, What exactly are we going to do now? Kellum stopped to look at his companions, and then said, I have a feeling that Duella knows more about what's going on here. It may be even something else about these haunted halls we've come here for. But for now, I think we all need to get some sleep.
Before we go too deep into our quest in the Beveren Wood, I think it's time to discover the reason the Ravenous Maw has been looking to secure this spot. Though I could go through the effort of generating a whole big storyline and a whole league of characters and aspirations for said characters, I think it may be easier to stick what we know works. Treasure. Not just any treasure, but a magical treasure. I'll roll now on a D100 chart to see what sort of magic item we can drum up. Using the list, as included in the Old School Essentials treasure book, I'm going to see exactly which type of magical item we get, whether it be a potion, some sort of magical armor, or something far more spectacular than that. Depending on what we get, we can figure out why the item may be so important to the Ravenous Maw, and what they may wish to do with it. To begin, I got a 91, which is a sword. Nice. I'll roll again to see which kind of sword we get. On this list are a few magical weapons, and some of them are a bit more specific, with special abilities. I got a 94, another high roll. This means that we got a plus two Venger sword. So, for anyone who doesn't know, a plus two sword implies plus two attack and plus two two damage bonuses. This type of sword, being a Venger sword, forces the individual to always go last in the initiative, which I suppose I can do if the wielder of the blade is encountered alone, but more importantly, the weapon allows a second attack against anyone who attacked the wielder in melee previously. That's very important. While later editions of D&D throw around multiple attacks, multiple attacks for a player character are worth their weight in gold. Now for the interesting part. Let's see if this weapon is sentient or not. Old School Essentials, as well as BX, and many old school games, there seems to always be something of a propensity for sentience and intelligence with swords, so it seems right up the alley of this story that there would be. There's a 30% chance of the item being sentient, and considering my high rolls, I have a funny feeling we're going to get an intelligent blade. I got a 12. So, this blade is going to have a bit of personality. I can definitely see the reason someone might want to track down a weapon like this. I'll roll now for the intelligence of the sword. I got on a 1d6 plus 6, a 3 plus 6, so 9 in total. With a 9 in intelligence, the blade communicates only through empathy. For the alignment, I got a 7, which is lawful. Since it has a 9 in intelligence, it will also have 3 sensory powers. On a list, I got detect evil and good, detect magic, and one extraordinary power. I'll roll now on a list to see what I got for an extraordinary power. On a d100, I got 97. So, the blade also grants its wielder x-ray vision. This item went from being very solid to a very powerful artifact indeed. X-ray vision, for anyone who doesn't know, 
allows a user to see through up to 30 feet of stone, 60 feet of softer materials, such as water, cloth, and wood, and the user can automatically succeed on their search for secret doors and traps rolls. I'm sure the day will come that I will need lore for some of this, but for now, I should be okay with naming the blade and establishing that the sword is truly powerful and great for finding secrets and avoiding traps some may use to protect their own treasures. I think the name that we can use for the blade is the Eye of Haradom. Perhaps the magician who had created this weapon, which is so well established to perceive that which no one else can. So, now we have to wonder, why would villains seek this out? Perhaps it is useful to uncover some sort of hidden away secret, somewhere important to the organization, and maybe it's also an important or powerful relic or status symbol for this cult of wealthy aristocrats and nobles. Who currently wields the sword? That's hard to tell at this stage. What we do know is that some sort of intelligent undead currently reside within this lair, and the blade has seemingly not been reclaimed and in use. I'll keep the other creatures within the lair secret for now, but let it be known that the party will have some serious challenges to face on their journey between then and now if they succeed. Chapter 20, Part 2 Day 59, Morning The party status has not changed. As the men completed their various morning rituals, stretching, sharpening their blades, praying, and preparing their spells, the gentle aroma of a country breakfast wafted into their room. The party went to the bar and graciously devoured some bread, cheese, and eggs, along with some sort of a rustic beer. As the group silently ate, Kellum greeted Duella and pulled her aside to ask her a question. I apologize for the disruption last night, and I'm sure you understand that we acted with the village's best interest in mind. Our goal here is to investigate some ruins rumored to be nearby, and that's all. I have a suspicion that we may encounter more of these dwarves again in the future. And so, I was hoping you could tell me anything you know about either. I'll roll now to see if Duella knows anything about the Ravenous Maw. I got... a six. So, no, she doesn't know. And no one else in the village does either. I'll roll now to see if she knows anything about the haunted halls of Shaladir. I got... a five. So unfortunately, no, she doesn't know about the ruins. As the six men at the bar looked to Duella awaiting her replies, she looked back at all of them and shook her head slowly as she approached to answer with hushed tones. I haven't heard of any ruins out here. As far as the dwarves, they moved into Castle Rosehome a couple months ago, but no one really knows why. They've caused nothing but trouble. Charging tolls, taxes, arbitrary fines, it's all been too much for us to bear. It used to be the case that the Knights of Castle Rose Home would protect us, but now it's hard to say that the castle's anything more than a hangout for those bandits. 
As the group considered the weight of this predicament, Belgen then chimed in. Is there a chance that they can be reasoned with? Or maybe they know something? Duella then grabbed a few of their cleared-off dishes and replied before walking away. <sighs> well, there's a chance the Castellanus men might know of the ruins of this land. But you can be sure the dwarves won't welcome strangers into their castle without an invitation. Good luck. The party decide to hang out around the Jester and Mace Tavern a bit longer to speak with local hunters. I'll roll now to see if the hunters know of the ruins. I got a four, which is no but. So, no, they don't know of the ruins, but they do have information of the undead that have been coming from there. The party speak with the trapper, who explains to them that he had run into a group of rancid undead who tore his trapper friends to shreds. He explains that they seem to be hunting them, and they use some sort of a strategy to stalk and kill these hunter-trappers. Though the man stunk of alcohol, his pain seemed true, and thus it was easy to believe him. The party's next plan would be to reach out to the village elder, Luratia. Unbeknownst to the party, she is not welcoming to strangers at all, and her own dark dealings may themselves be wrought of the very ruins they seek. As the party approach the modest manor of this elder, they are quickly spotted by her within her home. As they approach and knock upon the door, Callum calls out in a neutral and firm tone, Luratia, we come to you seeking information of these lands. We come as friends, and can compensate you for your wisdom and your time. I'll roll a reaction to this with a minus two penalty due to her dour attitude. I got a three, which minus two leads to a solid one. That's rough. If she were a combatant of any sort, I would certainly have her attack the party. But due to the current situation, I don't think that that makes much sense for this old woman to do such a thing. As the party wait for some sort of sign or response, the old woman within shouts, Leave me alone, or I'll have you all severely punished for trespassing. With this response, the party all duck away from the door, and Kellum, being the last to leave, stood stoically and committing her threatening voice to memory. The next morning, the party leave early and head for the woodland path connecting Solon Hill to Castle Roseholm. Since we will be venturing into some dangerous lands, I'll roll up a random encounter. On a 1 to 3, there will be an encounter, due to the fact this is in a forest. And it will be one on a table I have created for this area. I got a 1, so there will indeed be an encounter. So let's roll for what this encounter might be. Okay. Ah. This could certainly go one way or another, I'm sure. I'll roll now for surprise. Interesting. Both parties got a one, so they are both surprised. The encounter distance is... 1d4 times 10 yards. Which in our case... 
We've got a 1, so 30 feet. For a reaction, I got a 4, so they're certainly not going to be friendly. As the party trot down the road by a gently flowing stream within the dense forest, they rode horses in pairs of two, starting with Kellum and Terian, followed by Belgin and Thedor, and Sanjin and Kennard in the rear. As they round a bend in the path, Kennard whips his head abruptly to the right side of the path and yelps in alarm. Goblins! A trio of goblins, who were dozing off behind a hollowed-out log, leap up in alarm and scramble out for their own weapons. As always, thank you for listening to Legends from the Fireside. If you liked what you heard, consider leaving a rating and a review. I love reading these reviews, and I'll share them on the show as I receive them. Feel free to reach out at Legends from the Fireside on X, or email me at legendsfromthefireside at gmail.com. I want to give a big shout out to one of my oldest friends, one of the folks who has helped shape how I DM and play RPGs, Ronnie. I've known Ronnie for a long time, and I've had her in pretty much every major campaign I've ever played in. She lent her voice to Duella, the owner and innkeeper of the Jester and Mace Tavern, and hopefully she'll be back later for further voice acting in the future. If you have any desire to cross promo or lend your voice to the show, shoot me an email or a DM, and I am always on the lookout for these sorts of collaborations. I love nothing more than taking part in the community that has sprung up around these sorts of podcasts and shows, and I would love to give back in any way I can. But come back soon to listen to more Legends from the Fireside.